on the last episode of Blue Grit Podcast. He ultimately, I, I, I was in trouble with the police. Uh, the story is, is actually not an easy story. It's not a simple, hey, I just want to be a cop. Yeah. Um, in fact, from my viewpoint, that was the last thing I wanted to do. He kept on saying, look at me. And I had my head down and goes, look at me. So I'm wiping my tears off and I, I lean up and I look up. And he goes, do you want this? I said, I do. And he said, if there's anything in life that you want, there will always be obstacles. You go over them, around them, under them, or right fucking through them. But you accomplish what it is that you want. I said, yes, sir. He goes, that means you have to be fucking relentless. I get out with him. I walk him up. I say, Ms. Ida, this is Officer so-and-so. I was about to ask you, did you ever see Miss Ida again? All the time. I said, this is Officer so-and-so. And I said, and he loves coffee. <laughs> big cup. A big cup. And she, and she would get coffee, and, and she'd say, absolutely. And uh, so I'd always tell him, I'd say, hey, when you finish that cup of coffee, call me on the back channel, and I'll come pick you up. And, uh, and then what would I do? I would go to the store and get coffee with cream <laughs> because whatever she put in that coffee, maybe she was a crack dealer because <laughs> I was stuck on coffee from that point. Okay. But um, it was that, in, it was that, that constant instilling of that understanding of things. But that's also creating a new generation to Absolutely. know Miss Ida. That's right? exactly right. And so now Miss Ida's kids and, and you've, you've, you've broke that, broke that barrier now. Well, and, and, and speaking of that, um, Give a scenario of understanding, right? Imagine imagine being seven, eight, nine years old, right? Living in that hood. And you wake up, your dad's in prison. Your mom, she's a crack-addicted prostitute. And I used to work undercover narcotics, so I've seen these things in, in action. And... Uh, so imagine eight years old, you get up, your mom's still sleeping because she was out all night. Working. Working and smoking crack. Yeah. And you and he goes and gets a cereal box, and the cereal box is cockroaches running out of it. They have no milk, and he's just sitting there Indian style watching whatever shitty TV he has in a house not bigger, not much bigger than this room. And he's reaching in there, and he's getting cereal out while cockroaches are running, and he's eating it. Okay? This is what he's got. This is breakfast for him. And then his mom finally wakes up while he's watching cartoons, and she walks out and says, hey, baby, I got to go to work. I got to go make money. And this is the only thing he has in life is her. So she reaches down, kisses him on the forehead, and tells him, hey, don't leave the, the, the yard. You understand me? And he's going to do it. His mom says he has nobody else. So she leaves, and he gets bored, and he goes outside, and he sees a beer can that someone threw out the window the, the night before. And he goes out there, he starts kicking that can back and forth, kicking the can from one side of the, the, the house to the other side of the house or yard. And an eight-year-old that grew up in the hood, we all know is a hell of a lot more street smarter than a 16-year-old Silver Spoon kid. Yep. Yeah. And somebody will pull up and sit there and say, hey, where's everybody go? And the kid will think about it and sees that there's a lot of cars in action that goes out and two doors down and he'll say right there he'll watch 
as that car pulls up and somebody jump off that, that porch, walk down, hand them something, and get money out of it and walk back up. That intrigues him. That intrigues him because he looks at that and understands, my mom left to go make money. That's what she keeps on telling me. But I see it happening right here. I've got a way out. Right. So he'll start kicking that can, and what will end up happening is he'll kick that can to the point where that dope dealer will watch him. That dope dealer will jump off that porch and walk over to him and say, hey, you like kicking that can? Yeah. Kick it here. He'll pick it up and sit there and say, do you want to kick a ball? Yeah. He'll say, okay, and he'll kick that can back and forth with me. He goes, tell you what, next car that comes over here, you take these little rocks, you take it down there, you bring me the money, and I'll go get you a ball. And he'll kid will do it. Next car comes up, he goes, here's your chance, here's your chance, go do it. Kid runs down there, nervous as hell, kept looking back, walk up, make the deal happen, run back up with excitement because he did exactly what he was supposed to do. That dope dealer will get on his knee, pat him on the head, give him a fist bump, and that'll be the most love that he's ever seen in his entire life. And it's not even love, it's manipulation. Mm-hmm. It's complete manipulation. And so from there, what happens with that kid's life from that point? He wants to be a dope dealer. Yep. And what's interesting about that is, as police officers, where's he at at 10 years old? Breaking into houses, breaking into cars, running from us, jumping fences. We've arrested him a couple times now. He's of age to go to juvie, 13 years old, in a gang, running the streets, doing just being a terror on society. 15 years old, the conversations that we've all had is this 15-year-old kid we've arrested today, we've arrested him countless times, and in the in the squad room, we're wrapping up the day, and we're saying, you know, I arrested so-and-so again. Somebody else says, man, I can't wait till that little motherfucker turns 17 years old so we can put him in his ass in prison and be done with him. And we all cheer on that. The one thing we forget is there was a time that we drove by, and he's standing out in the fucking yard wanting to see what our reaction is going to be when we drive by. And we didn't even wave to him. We didn't even stop. When in all reality, the best police work that we could have done is get stop the car, get the fuck out, and walk down and say, do you like kicking a can? You want to kick a ball? And then you are the one that kneels down, and you are the one that shows him that love. Completely different path he's starting on. Absolutely. And even if we don't change his life, we've gave him options. Yeah. We've gave him another view. We've given him another understanding of, of, of what police are and not not what his mama told him or not what his dad told him, not what the society has told him, but what we have showed him. Yep. And and honestly, it goes back to that day that I was sitting at a house and somebody knocked on that door and said, you need anything. You need anything. From that point, um, I, I, I kind of took that understanding of things and, and just kind of ran with it uh, for the rest of, of my entire career. And I, and I probably had the most blessed career that I could ever ask for. I worked every aspect of law enforcement. 
uh, have enjoyed every aspect of law enforcement, almost every aspect of law enforcement. Um, but ultimately, I, I I loved it. What's cool, a lot of people's character or future is molded or navigated by tragedy. Um and, and and you've had you've had tragedy and, and had bumps and bruises, but um, it's cool that two defining moments that you recognized because I probably have missed a bunch of signs and I've probably missed a bunch of angels that were trying to come up and check on me. But you were well aware of two defining moments in your life that wasn't a blood family that shaped and molded who Slater is, and it it was. How coming to check on you, making you tell you, hey, do you know my name? Who am I? Yeah. Coming to check on you and, and show some humanity and some love to you. And Miss Ida coming to check on you, not blood, not family, two angels sent to check on you. And you were aware enough, because I wasn't in my 20s aware of anything, to recognize and, and, and digest that and use it. Man, that's, that's two things. I thought I knew you pretty well, and apparently I didn't know shit about you. You do. That is freaking awesome, dude. Thank you. That's awesome. I mean, it really is. In fact, I think, uh, what was what was Hal's last name? Clarida. <clears throat> Clarida. Is there any awards or anything that we give out in law enforcement in, the, in his honor? No. I think I'm calling on it. Call it what it is now. But I think we need to start recognizing officers' good deeds and do it in his honor from here on out. It could be at TMPA conference. It could be at any conference, or, or but to identify just what you just talked about. That's the essence of community policing. That's right. That's exactly 110%. Duty, he could have kept his ass in the house and drank Miller Lite and watched football rather he, than decide to come bang on the door and check on the kid. And Because he chose to stop and say something to a 16-year-old kid that he didn't even know. And look at what we're sitting with now. Look at who we're looking at, right? And kudos to you for being self-aware to recognize it because – they say, well, like when you're 16, 17, you know it all and you don't listen to anything. Yeah. I was like that up until about five years ago. <laughs> well, well. And I, I don't think I, it takes a lot of reflection and self awareness to realize this is a moment that I, I can digest, process, and I can do something. There's something tangible here I can do, self reflect and fix and, and acknowledge what just happened. That's, that's not an easy thing to do. And especially when it's a stranger like you did with Miss – you did with both of them, really. You kind of wrote it off at first. And then something inside you said, whoa, slow down. This, let's go back and reevaluate where the decision. Yeah. And well, One of the things I do believe is you become a lot more self-aware when you become emotionally desperate because you're opening up for just something. Yep. Something to change, something to, to, to grab a hold. And I think <laughs> complete side note, um, cops go through a lot of emotionally desperate times in their entire life. But my career and your career's career, early on, we would never, ever deal with it. We would just cope it, but we never got help. We never got, and, and, and when you're in that manner and you get that, that, uh, that therapy aspect from it, going to an actual therapist that, that we preach and teach today, 
um, I think those messages they resonate at that point. Yep. But if we're if everything's fine in life, and and we're not emotionally desperate, we don't hear the message. We don't see the message. Uh, we do it when when we need the message. Well, we, uh, our listeners, you don't have to be religious, spiritual. You don't have to be anything. But if you don't clearly see a very detailed picture that's laid out twice, first time you're driving around. It actually gets better, Clint. You're driving around desperate for your mom, somebody, please send somebody to help me. And you drive by and house standing at the grill, giving you, and you know you probably made eye contact. He didn't. Your mom wasn't sent to be there for you at that moment. It was intended to be how. Mm-hmm. The next time you're at life when you're freaking angry and you hate the world, and I've been there a couple of times where I've been there, and somebody, God, Buddha, whoever you want to call it, put Miss Ida in your spot when you were at a point where you hated everybody, probably a little reckless because I lived a little reckless when I was in the angry phase. And they sent Miss Ida to you, and then all of a sudden your picture clears up and things get focused and – so you don't you can believe in whatever you want to believe in, but if you think those two instances are coincidence, they're not. I agree. I one hundred percent agree. Hmm. I've always wondered where relentless came from too. That that one punched me in the face a little bit. Yeah. So um you were at Rosenberg PD. Very successful career. Obviously you're you're molding our our, our new generation law enforcement. Uh, and by the way, you listeners that are new generation, you need all the molding that you can help that you need. And thankful that we have guys like you uh, on the force that were you know doing that at that point in time. When did you recognize, or when did when did relentless defender? When did that start processing in your brain of like, man, I've got I'm making an impact here in law enforcement and stepping away from law enforcement and having a passion for it. It's hard. I just went through it myself. Um, but what what when did you identify relentless defender and and and, and the brand? Before we step off in that, I was gonna. I, I think it's important to ask with this audience. Your time at Rosenberg, social media was kind of kicking off. I guess it's MySpace had just ended and Facebook was starting. <laughs> um, but I grew up in the culture at the department I worked at. You didn't share anything. I mean, we shared nothing. And any with anybody, and you literally put Rosenberg publicly social media not on the local map or the state map. You literally put it, Rosenberg PD on the national map with the content, with the comedy, with the vulnerability, the sense of humor. Where did that come from? Because you literally. You guys literally flipped law enforcement on its head about outward communication to the public. What? Where did that? How did that begin? Because before all the, before it was cool to do like South Lake PD has a massive social media following. They do a great job engaging and cutting up. But you 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 literally started that fifteen years ago, probably. I mean, when yeah, it was it was. It was in uh, 2012. So what happened was, um, yes, I'm a high school dropout, but I actually went back to college, and I got my bachelor's degree in organizational leadership, and then I was getting my master's degree at Sam Frum for in criminal justice and leadership. And while I was doing that, 
um, I was doing LCC too, Leadership Command College, and I'd met a a guy from Arlington PD uh, named Christopher Cook. He's an officer up there, and um, we were sitting down one day at, at, at lunch, and and I was lieutenant at this time, and uh, we were just kind of going back and forth about like we do at lunchtime. You know, what is your agency doing? What are we doing? And I was just kind of um, essentially bragging a little bit about what we're doing and, you know, how, how we're being innovative and that type of stuff. And uh, Chris asked a question. He goes, hey, well, uh, how are you getting all that out? How, how, how are people knowing about that? And I thought I had a brilliant answer. I said, well, simple. What we do is we have an Explore program, and what we do is we give them flyers and, and uh, we work with a local church or we get a school and we get them to, to do a, a community partners meeting is what we called it. And we'd go out there and we'd have the explorers put all these flyers on all the doors in the you know neighborhoods and those types of things. And we would say Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, uh, we're going to have this community partners meeting. And we're going to be very transparent and you can talk to us and all that kind of stuff, right? And I was chest out explaining this, <laughs> right? And if you don't know Christopher Cook, Christopher Cook's a brilliant guy, okay? And he looks at me across the table and goes, how's that working out for you? And uh, my thought was, I'm about to show him. You know, he can We're learn killing it. Yeah, right? And, and, and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, how many people show up? And I said, uh, I mean, it varies. He, you know, sometimes we get like 50, 60 people show up. And then, unfortunately, sometimes we only get five, six people show up. And he goes, and I'll bet you whenever the 56 people show up, it's because something bad is going on in their neighborhood and they want to complain about it. And it's usually speeders and that type of stuff, right? right. What's important to them is not necessarily real to us, right? right. So I said, okay, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about right. And he goes, well, why don't you just use social media? And I said, well, hold on a second, dude. I said, I, I, I was a sergeant in narcotics right before I became a lieutenant in patrol. And uh, I was in that same understanding. Cops shouldn't be on social media. Like that's the last place that they need to be uh, with that my face stuff, right? And uh, he goes, "Well, tell me why." And I explained to him. I said, "Well, you know, for that reason." And he goes, "Well, think about it." He goes, "All the same information that you're trying to get out, you can get out immediately through social media. It's like having a town hall meeting, 365 days a year." And it, it, I literally stopped and I thought about it. I was like, yeah, you're right. Absolutely, you're right. And so I went back to my agency and uh, talked to my chief about it. I said, uh, and, and I had just graduated with my master's degree because this was right at the end. And uh, one of the, my, my uh, master's basic capstone or dis- dissertation, if you want to call it that, whatever the case is, thesis, uh, but our, to graduate, our paper, was on emerging issues in law enforcement. And it was social media, because I decided, okay, I want to look at social media now. I want to study social media. It was social media, fitness and law enforcement, and millennials joining the ranks, right? Um, and I wanted to really understand the millennial generation. But what was interesting, the social media and the millennial study that I did, they kind of ran together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... I came back and I proposed to my chief. I said, hey, I want to start a social media program here. 
Well, first I said, I want to start a fitness program here. And we did. Okay. And he goes, but you have to propose all these things to the administration board, which is in my agency, it was four lieutenants and assistant chief and the chief. So, uh, I proposed the fitness deal is back at him hall around and that type of thing. But it was like, okay, and anything you propose in law enforcement, now it's your, that's your baby, baby to do it. Yep. So I, then I proposed the social media and you would have thought that that was the worst thing that anybody's ever posed in the entire planet of law enforcement. I said, I want to start a social media program here. Every Lieutenant was totally against it. Nope, nope, nope. Um, none of them liked the idea. They, 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 they fought it. And so I'm sitting there at the conference table and my assistant chief at the time, uh, I turned to him and I said, okay. And, and, and already I thought, well, this is fucking gone. Right. <laughs> so I turned to the assistant chief and I said, what about you? And by the way, my assistant chief and I hated each other. Okay. To this day. All right. Um, and, and I said, how about you? And he, he looked and, and he's one of those guys that's brilliant more brilliant in his own mind than everybody else believes. And he says, I don't like it. I said, you know, I've heard that from everybody at this table, but why? Tell me the reason why y'all don't like it. And so he comes up with some Mark Twain deal, and he says, because it feels like we're running around in public naked for everybody to see. That makes sense. So I sat there for a second, and, and, and I wasn't nearly as smart as everybody else in the room, and I just said, well, fuck, if you look good naked, who gives a shit? <laughs> and my chief, he just kind of paused, and and, and, and he just stopped everything, and, and I'm like, and he's like, hey, 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 everybody. And I just sat there and I kind of crossed my arms like, well, this is fucked. And he goes, Slater? I said, yes, sir. He goes, make it happen. And I said, yes, sir. And of course, I did my little look around the room, like fuck, fuck y'all. all y'all, because <laughs> <laughs> I look good and they yeah. it out. <laughs> so I, I, I do, and and uh, uh, I move forward with the social media. And the first thing that I understand, um, one thing that my education allowed me to do was research before you step into the field, whatever it is, because you might as well get a lot of work done here before you make the mistakes there. So what I did is I started looking at different agencies and started contacting different agencies. And internally what I did was I'm a huge believer that leadership is in bar stars and stripes. Those are ranks. Okay. Leadership is the people that have influenced within your department that may not necessarily be ranked. So what I did is I found pillars within the agency that I could use to build a committee for this social media program. Um, because I already knew I had a, an upward battle because every lieutenant, every commander all the way up yeah. was against it. So you already know what they were doing in their divisions is they were going back saying, this is bullshit. Don't get involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, this type of thing. And uh, so I, I, I literally had to influence even people underneath their command that this was the right thing. But what I understood was peer influence is way stronger than supervisor influence. So I found those peers and we, we developed a committee and out of that committee, um, one of the sergeants emerged and him and I just took on the social media deal. And one of the things that we started doing was bringing in other people from different agencies that were doing social media. And one of the consistent things that people kept on telling us was be very professional and be very sterile because you don't want anything to come back and bite you in the ass as far as the agency goes. 
And I still didn't have a social media page for a couple months, but I was still directing in that type of stuff. So we started a, a Facebook page and the Rosenberg Police Department's Facebook page. And uh, even if is every post is still on there, and you can even kind of see the, all the old vids, uh, everything. Yeah. And you can even see how sterile it was initially. And, and uh, I, I call them the funeral pigs where yeah. we stand there with the flag behind us, very sterile. And those are the kind of things that we were posting, right? And then just very, very sterile posts. And, and uh, one day I just said, you know what? And it goes back to that whole understanding that I, I, I explained at the very beginning of this conversation was I said, no, we need to be different. Yep. We need to be different. And, and uh, so from that, I said, I, I brought in, his name was Sergeant Saltura that, that worked with me on the uh, social media. And I said, let's change things up. And, and he goes, hell, I said, I'm going to open up my own social media page. We're going to work on this together and let's make it happen. Right. He goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't want another picture with another, with a cop not smiling. I don't want another picture with a cop looking at the camera. I want it candid. I want him having, you know, showing that he's having fun, all that kind of stuff. Why? For that exact reason. The public sees us on every traffic stop with a stern face. Robot. We want to show them that we're human. We want to show them that we're, you know, we have kids, we have families. We're just like everybody else. And, Show that side of it. Be very transparent. Be open. Show them behind the scenes of what we are and what we're about. And uh, he goes, are you serious? I said, yeah. He goes, well, we've already talked to everybody. And they said, don't do that. And I said, I don't give a shit. We're not everybody. So we started doing it. We started doing uh, a lot more comedy and, and, and playing with it a lot more. The videos were the videos, classic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it was, and it was completely different for the time of that time. Now it's everywhere. Right. Wow. Everywhere. And so what ended up happening was I would I would do these these posts or we would do these posts I should say, and when we were doing the posts, um, the public loved it. I mean they 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 bought into it immediately and they would we start getting thousands of comments, likes, shares. Um, it just started blowing up, and from that point, <clears throat> the um, for the first six months of doing this, the public loved it. But I'm going to tell you right now, we would get phone calls from other agencies, and and uh, I literally would would get messages on my phone when I'd come to work. And uh, for example, I even called the sergeant in, Sergeant Saltura, and I said, "Hey, listen to this message." And it was a, a an officer from another agency, and it leaves a message that says, "Hey, what y'all are doing with law enforcement is a fucking joke. Uh, I work for so and so, and we would never do something like that. You're making us all look like a bunch of idiots, right?" And I said, look at this shit. And so I said, but wait. And I call, and uh, I'd say, hey, can I, you know, to be a guy's cell phone number, I said, hey, this is Lieutenant Slater with the Rosemary Police Department. Hey, I got your message uh, about the social media. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it would always be, you know, something asinine, like, yeah, don't you think that's bullshit? I said, well, no, no, hold on a second. Let me explain to you what happens here. I said, where do you work at? And he would tell me, and I'd say, Okay, so you don't work at Rosenberg. Yeah. Well, then I don't give a fuck what you think. I said, because we live in a world where you have your world, I have my world. And I can tell you right now, my world likes it. And if your world doesn't like it and you don't offer that to your world, I don't give a shit. Because when we got into this business of law enforcement, we're here to influence our world. And it's not the world as a big world. It's the world that we live, work, and play in. So every world is a different culture. Every department is a different culture. Everything that we do is based on the world that we understand. 
when when an officer dies in this country, we all feel it, but who feels it the most is that world. Yep. It does. So we have to we have the the the, the understanding to influence that world and the responsibility to influence that world in a positive way. Well I can tell you four hours away we were getting phone calls of, hey, how come y'all aren't doing cool stuff engaging the community like Rosenberg? And how come y'all aren't posting funny, engaging, and all? Because at the time, we were still in the closed-minded. We don't talk. We don't. Um, and you got to you have to engage your community. You're not trying to engage some other agency five hours away or in another state. You're get, to your point, your world. Yeah. That's, the, that's the only one that matters at that point. And, 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 that's, and I made that very clear. Uh, with the people that work with me, for me, that I worked for, that type of thing. And uh, and there wasn't a still an uphill battle. But what was interesting, after about six months of doing this, we were on Good Morning America. We were in Time Magazine, People Magazine. We were doing news interviews. We, 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 we were everywhere, right? The videos are classic. And, we'll pull them up. They're freaking awesome. And to this, when I look back at them, I'm like, eh. Which one was your favorite video? The one that, a couple of them that really blew up. Um, and, and, and I want you to understand what I told you about kicking the can with the kid. I started sharing that story with every one of the guys that worked for me, because being a servant leader, your job is to mentor, your job is to build, your job is to let them understand. Well, one of the, one of the videos that really blew up was, um, a sergeant that left his, his, uh, his dash cam on and a kid was out there just throwing a football up in the air and he stops and gets out and he goes, Hey, and the kid threw the football, and he just throws it back and forth, right? And it was literally like 30 seconds of just throwing it back and forth. It was like nothing that all of us haven't done, and we've all done it. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, I get word that this was on video. I said, give it to me. So I post it up, and it goes viral. I mean, viral, viral. Uh, and and uh, it, was, it was almost like the first time anybody ever thought, oh, cops can do that? Yeah. And you're like, yes, we've been doing it for decades. We've been doing it for forever. But social media gave us that platform to be able to express it and show it. And look, the bottom line is, is in, social media is a world to itself. I, I, I talk about three worlds, and I teach about three worlds. But the fourth world is real. The fourth world is social media. And social media gives us that avenue to be able to communicate things that combat what the BLMs and the and and, and the so and, and the other social justice warriors that that are trying to to, yep. to create against us, yep. it's impossible. It's impossible if we're not having a a mouth for ourselves. Did you realize then? Well, I guess Time Magazine and Good Morning America. Did you realize then that you were actually changing the mentality in law enforcement of engagement, public engagement? And when I realized it was when we started getting phone calls. Same type of phone calls, but now they're saying, how do you do it? How do you do this? And it would be from, from patrolmen to, to, to police chiefs saying, we want that same thing. We want that for our community. We want that for our world. And, and the phone calls would just constantly come in. Hey, can you help us? And we did. We would sit there and explain, here's what you need to do. If you want to come out and check it out, then we'll show you how to do it. Touch on real quick because you, you, I had a sheriff one point in time that I worked for. I don't work for any longer, thank God, but he was so narrow minded that he didn't understand the value of social media. And, and it really goes back to really a couple things. One, it highlights our good work. That's not seen on a daily basis unless you're in law enforcement or within the law enforcement community Two, 
when a bad situation happens, and believe me, they're going to happen in law enforcement. Fuck-ups are going to happen. We're human. It's just a part of it. Some are more severe than others. But there was a, can you reflect back on a situation in Rosenberg itself where there was a bad situation and thank God that y'all had the social media presence to fall back on because it really negated the fact of what actually happened or calmed it down. Not specifically. The, um, but I can tell you that there's references that I can make that have done that. Yeah. Um, to give a, a platform of that first and to give you a foundation of that, social media is just a tool and I tell people all the time, we need to run police departments like a business. Yep. And the problem with running a police department like a business is nobody knows what our profits are. <laughs> yeah. Because businesses thrive and are valued based on how much money they make. Well, agencies, that's you don't have that same understanding if you're running it like a business. Because when it comes down to business, bottom dollar is all that really matters in the, in the business world. So if you're looking at the scale and you sit there and say, here's our profit margin – that's a successful business that is yeah. continuing this on the rise. What we need to do is we need to be looking at it as our profit margins are every single human being that's in our world that is making relationships with the police department. So when we start rising up with those relationships being made, when we have a profit, that is when I can tell you, you get into an OIS, you get into a critical instant, you get into something that an incident like Ferguson where the entire community backlashed Right, Ferguson happened because they didn't make relationships with their community. Right, Darren Wilson didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, it was because they didn't make the relationships with their communities. When you have that relationship, the first thing they're going to do is like, wait a minute, let's hear what they have to say because they've been transparent with us, they've talked with us, they've shared with us that we know these people, we know their names. Think about right now in any any community out there, in any world out there, how many how many officers. Do they, everybody know their name? Very few. In fact, if we do this right, police officers should be celebrities in their communities. Yeah. Should be celebrities. And how do you relay that? Through social media and then through the personal interaction. But when that happens, I can tell you right now, when that critical incident happens, um, it's not going to have a backlash. What you're going to have is you're going to have support. You're going to have that. You're going to be able to cash in on your profits for that exact reason. And I'll tell you right now, the reason why it doesn't happen and those police officers are not celebrities is because egos get in the way and positions get in the way and certain police chiefs and or sheriffs yeah. lose sight of what the real value is there. Well, and I think it's for like our local association leaders, it's important to repeat what you said. For-profit companies measure their value in monetary capital. They should be measuring their wealth in political capital. It's capital all the same yep. that you build up that you may have to cash in at some point. You're building capital nonetheless. And if you think there's not equal amount of value in it in political capital because you just nailed it, when a bad incident happens, they're going to be like, well, let's stop and verify. Because we've built clout, credibility, trust in a relationship rather than, oh, okay, yeah, that's that jackass that drives by and can't wave at me. I, I, that's probably true. I, he probably did thump them since he can't even wave at somebody he's an ass. When you have that political capital, they stop and be like, nah, I'm not sure. I believe this. Let's let's slow down and, and yeah. check on this. Well, I, I, I've been taking it a step further for the members of TMPA. The, that exact understanding, your POA is worthless if you don't have that 
if you don't run it like a business, understanding that this isn't about just your members of your POA. Yep. This is about building that relationship and building that capital with your community. So when you do need something, yep. that the, 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 the councilmen don't mean shit. The mayor doesn't mean shit. What you want is the community to come out and sit there and say, no, we don't care what you have to say. The police department needs this. The officers, we know, need a raise. They need civil service. They need whatever it is that we want to give them because we know these people and we've made that relationship with them. Cities and government does a horrible job of doing that. Yeah. And I can tell you, if you know how to do it and do it right, there the will never powerful. be a vote yeah. that, that goes against you. Yep. Yep. Never. I agree. Never. We'll have to check out some of the old vids, dude. They are classic old Rosenberg vids. All right. I stepped all over your original question. Leaving law enforcement, RDA life. So – Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I lost my train of thought. Step, yeah, I'm, no, I'm still stuck on, on the question. social media deal. I stepped on your question. <laughs> no, yeah. The, the, uh, so, so leaving law enforcement, leaving law enforcement wasn't a choice of mine. The, uh, so what happened was I was a, 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 the patrol lieutenant uh, and in our position as a commander, my, my, my chief, um, who I get along with great, as you can tell, kind of the scenario I just gave you guys, um, he ended up retiring and um, the police chief opened up. Well, the assistant chief and I, and then several other outside candidates, we all assessed for it. It came down to the assistant chief and myself uh, applying for the job or, or at the final two, and ultimately he won the position. Well, after he won the position, the very next day he calls me in, into his office, shuts the door, and, uh, and, and looks me in the eyes and says, hey, uh, you're going to need to find a new place to work. And by the way, we had a horrible relationship. And I said, okay, explain to me why, because I'm not leaving. And he goes, because I need people that are loyal to the department, not loyal to a person. I said, see, that's what you don't get. I said, I know every single one of these guys. I've hired every single one of these guys. I train these guys. I know their wives. I know their kids. I know everything about these guys, okay? You walk down the hallway, nobody even knows who you are. He was a hidden guy that didn't do anything his entire career with the exception of policy and that type of thing. And – uh so it it was this 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 kind of stale kind of a stalemate that said no I'm not leaving. So immediately I get back to my office and um, the email goes out that I no longer have any power. All the sergeants they want him answering directly to him, and I literally for three months sat in my office with zero to do, no power, nothing at all. During that three months, I got investigated three times. Never been formally investigated by A ever, but investigated over and over and over again. Um, blogs were started up, all this other kind of stuff, and it just was an all-out assault against myself and anybody that supported me and that type of thing. And uh, ultimately, it, it led to a, a third and final investigation where he ended up terminating me on, uh, which was complete bullshit. Uh, and your your followers and TMBA members can understand a lot of this. Oh, yeah, okay? 100%. Uh, because uh, in law enforcement, unfortunately, there's a lot of politics involved in that, especially the higher up you go. And um, ultimately, I ended up getting fired. I appealed it and uh, got – got because uh, he even gave me a, a – a, a Dishonorable. Dishonorable and then had to change it to an honorable. And That was my first communication with Aaron Slater. Was it really? Yep. You called in for legal. Okay. 
I didn't realize it was you. And uh, so, and TNPA was all a part of that as well, going through this whole process. And and uh, and and because I was a I was a my POA president for a long time and that type of thing. So I've been working with TNPA since we started our POA back in two thousand two thousand one somewhere in there. But uh, but ultimately, uh, I got fired, and um, Danny, my, my wife, was still working at the PD, and um, ulti- about seven days later, I just sit there, and, and, and as soon as it happened, I said, you know what, this is bullshit. I, I put my life, my soul, my heart, everything into this job. And in fact, the, 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 the vision statement for Relentless, I mean, for uh, for Rosemary Police Department was the relentless pursuit of police excellence. That was all over our cars, everything. I used the word relentless for every aspect of that department, right? And Was it already there, or did you put that in I there put because there. relentless had been ingrained right. in you? That's right. So everything that we did, in fact, if you go on the social media from way back, we use the word relentless for everything, everything. And then as soon as I got fired, they stripped it off all the cars, they redid the vision statement, and they and they erased that whole understanding of what that was. They wanted nothing to do with Aaron Slater as far as the administration goes. Wow. So um, about seven days later, I started a company. I got the LLC. I filed for it. And the initial company was was ACED, A-C-E-D, Assessment Centers and Evolutionary Development. I had been trained through IACP to do assessment centers. Um, and the evolutionary development was, let's take where law enforcement is now, and then let's take it to the other level. It's, it's, it's development, but, but you know, be evolutionary about it. So A-C-E-D was the parent company. And my whole thought was, I was getting all these calls every single day about, how do you do social media? How do you do this? How do you do it? And I said, you know what? Maybe I could train people how to do this. And uh, so I put a training course together and um, started selling it. And and I was going all over the nation. Well, initially it was all over Texas. My first course, I got with a local um, hotel that that uh, that I made friends with. And he said, yeah, use use our training room and that type of stuff. And I put it together. I I, I I had made all these social media pages, 27 different social media pages for law enforcement because my thought was I was going to do a training company and I was going to just broker instructors and start doing training. And uh, so I had imagined every single niche in law enforcement, canine investigation, whatever it was. I had every a page for every single one of them and a following on every single one of them. And so it was basically like running a stock market. Where I'm over here posting things and doing all this other stuff. That was my job every single day. And I would do these training courses, but I would probably do one every month, month and a half maybe, and I would pull in maybe $4,500, $5,000, but in marketing expenses because you still got to spend money in marketing and the rent and, and travel and all that kind of stuff. I was probably pulling in $2,000 maybe um, every class that I actually did, and then that would basically just go to the next class and those types of things. So, uh, and then during that time, um, I had some job offers, um, and I kept turning them down or something would happen with them, but I really didn't want to get back in law enforcement and we were struggling. My wife and I were struggling. Um, uh, she was still in law enforcement. She left Rosemary PD. A lot of people left at that same time, uh, cause they were like, Hey, we see the right on the wall. Let's, let's get the fuck out of here. Uh, she went to another agency, I made good friends with, with her chief at that agency and uh, he had offered me an assistant chief job over there. Um, but ultimately, uh, it was at a point where I didn't want to go back to law enforcement. Yeah. I wanted to do something bigger. I thought, you know, my vision and my purpose is something bigger. It goes back to those, those, those following the path. 
And I just didn't feel like going back into law enforcement at that time was, was my path. And I just felt there's something I was supposed to be doing. So, and I, I got fired in uh, July of 2014. And in going through the struggle, we didn't have any money. We're living off basically one income, one cop income and a very little income, if any, that I was making. I was still teaching at the police academy on a part-time. But um, imagine just living off credit cards. And it almost took me all the way back, uh, all the way back to um, my late childhood. So I had that feeling of, like, struggle. I had that feeling of, like, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? And on January 10th of 2015, Danny comes in, and she had just checked the mail, getting home from work, and uh, she's got our tax paperwork for our, our, our house, and it's property tax, and we owed $6,566 in property tax. And she goes, you know that we owe this money, and it's due by the end of the month, January 31st? And I said, I know. And anybody knows that when you have a a argument about finances with a spouse, there's no winning. Because neither one of y'all can change that. It's just no winning. And um, so, and, and, and it's one of those things where I'm like, I know, I get it, okay? Uh, and she goes, well, why don't you just go back to law enforcement? That's what you're good at. That's what you love. And my argument was, I don't want to. I'm supposed to do something bigger here. And and, and so there was this, this argument between her and I. And uh, But I knew that the struggle was real, and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And so ultimately, uh, that night... Um, I just, I, it was one of those give up feelings, one of those give up moments. And I just said, and, and, and I just broke and I, uh, I prayed to God. I said, God, I don't know what you want me to do. Um, I thought I was supposed to make this great. I thought I was supposed to do something bigger. I thought you were putting me down a path. I thought everything that happened at Rosenberg shouldn't have happened. So I thought there was a reason, a purpose for that. And so if you want me to continue doing this training, I'll do it. But you got to give something. You got to break somewhere. If you want me to go back to law enforcement, show me, and I'll do it. Just show me what you want me to do. So that next morning, I woke up. I went into my office. I learned how to do graphic art because I needed to for the purpose of marketing and yeah. content and that type of stuff. So I I learned graphic art by using YouTube, and so I I, I literally. Um, sat there and I put my headphones on like I am right now. And I just sat there and I started drawing and, uh, and I came up with a design and it was that the, the gladiator him with the blue line through it. Right. So I looked at it and I said, yeah, that's pretty cool. And so I, I take it. I'm like, man, what can I do with that? That's, that's pretty dope. So I said, you know what? I've got all these social media pages. Let me try something. I've, I've seen this, these shirts on Teespring and all sorts of stuff. So I took that and I put it on a shirt and I, put it up and I shared it with all 27 different pages that I had and uh, put it up. And we were, we were going to go to a dinner that night uh, for vendor bars for a birthday or whatever. So uh, we get ready and we get in the car and there's still the argument, right? But of course, when you get to dinner, everything's fine in front of everybody. And then you get done, you, you come back home. She, she goes, does I go back in, in my office and I look and I'm like, I wonder if I sold any t-shirts. I look and I'm like, what? I had already sold over 200 t-shirts in the amount of time that we were gone, which is maybe only about two, two and a half hours. And so I start looking at the comments and the comments are verifying that. I just bought one. It was great. You know, awesome. And this type of thing. 
Now understand something. What's unique about that? Ferguson had just happened a few months earlier. So, and and not only did Ferguson happen, but the the, the two NYPD cops had just been ambushed and killed. And what people don't understand is is when those things are happening, the support for law enforcement rises. It actually increases because the silent, they may be silent, but they're still supportive. Yeah. They actually become more supportive. So the shirts were selling and selling. Was it was it just that graphic? Did you have anything else on it? It was just that graphic. Just and a, all, like a black T-shirt with that graphic? All I put was a relentless bleed blue. That's it. The relentless bleed blue, right? And it was that graphic on the back and then the graphic on the front. And uh, so from there. Did um, you have any production? Did Had you already thought of, if I sell 50, how am I going to make 50? No, it, what I did, uh, uh, think of it as a fulfillment center that you're putting this on. They do all the selling, oh, they do gotcha. all the shipping, they okay. do everything. And all I do is do the marketing and, and, and pushing. And then what they do is they cut you a percentage of the check and then they give you the check. Gotcha. Okay. So ultimately, um, I had sold a few shirts, and then I kept pushing it every day. And everything runs on a seven-day uh, um, campaign. And at the end of the seven days, I remember going into the bathroom, and she was in there coloring her, I mean, not coloring her, but curling her hair. And uh, I said, babe, she turns around, and I said, uh, I've got the money for the taxes. And she goes, and I just remember her pausing for a second. She stops, and she goes, and, and understand, she met me when I was undercover narcotics. And she already kind of understood my upbringing, right? I already know where this is going. And she looks at me, and 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 it, we all know body language very well. And I look at her, and I'm like, no, fuck, no. It's nothing like that. And she goes, what the fuck are you doing? Because no, no one in their right mind would think that a cop, <laughs> a, a, a unemployed cop could make that much money in that amount of time and without it being illegal. Mm-hmm. Just so we're clear, Danny's sitting in here. Danny, your thought was Chippendales, right? He was dancing. Exactly my thought. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a thought. Yeah. Look good I naked. Promise, I promise yeah. you. Yeah, look good naked. That, yeah. that was a thought, right? right? We need that on a shirt. Yeah. So uh, from there, um, I said, come here, let me show you. So I took her in there, and I showed her and that type of thing, and, and, and it was legit. And one of the, I think they, the question was, well, I'll, I'll believe when I see it. I'm like, no, they've already deposited it in the bank. Wow. And here's the understanding of things. I owed $6,566. In seven days, I made $6,568. $2 more than I needed to make pay for my taxes. On a whim, throw headphones on, I'll doodle something out. What the hell? Let's just see if I can sell a T-shirt. At the lowest point that I've been in. And I can tell you the message I took from that was he's going to provide. He's even going to give him a little bit more than I need. But then it reaffirmed what was told to me at the very beginning. Do something great. Do something great with it. So that's the reason why I have literally dedicated everything in this business to giving back, to making sure that everything that I've loved, the business I've loved, the people that, that, that got me to this point, the reasons of why we all do what we do, that's the reason why I'm so involved in giving back in that aspect. And for those that don't know, he does give back so much. Quinn, if you want to pick up on that. At the- I was just going to say uh, – 
people ask me all the time because a lot of people know how much you give back and they know what your passion is. If if watching this podcast they don't figure that out, then they're <laughs> blind, deaf, and dumb because you didn't just on a – there's probably people that don't know that are like, oh, Slater just got lucky and he built a massive business and he's just a dude that you know always had money or, or don't know. The foundation behind what yep. is into this. That's right. God bless, dude. It is freaking amazing. So you stepped off. You had two bucks left over to pay your taxes. I guess what was your next step? Oh, shit, I better get headphones back on and doodle it. That's exactly doodle right. Doodle again. And, and uh, so so I took that as a message of of do what you keep doing and, and, and keep pushing it. So I did. I, I made a couple more designs. I kept pushing the original design. And in three months, I saved up $300,000. And uh, three months, three months. Good God. And uh, bye bye police work. That was never a thought again, <laughs> but I, it was never a thought of getting back into law enforcement, but the love was still there. Yeah. It's always been there. And, and, uh, and anybody that's ever done this job for any amount of time knows that that never leaves you. Yeah. Mm. It, it's, 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 it's people ask me all the time. Do you miss it? Aspects aspects but i can tell you when you get burned like i did at the end of my career yeah you look at it and you say i don't miss that no i don't miss that but i saved up three hundred thousand. uh i got attorneys i, I got a trademark um i i, I dedicated the, the the name of relentless defender and i think that story's already been told um but in the defender aspect was what do police officers do every single day we defend and we defend, you know, we defend righteousness. We defend, you know, the community. We defend everything that we've already talked about. And, again, it goes back to we do that without stopping. Yeah. We do that without whatever obstacles in front of us. We're going to continue to do that. And it's not going to be something that we do lightly. Um, that, that it becomes who we are. And uh, so I, I rented a, a, a small 1,600-square-foot facility and um, hired one employee. I uh, ended up. Ultimately, um, that one employee needs to say he wanted to be a cop. Uh, and um, one of the things that since that time uh, I paid for him to go to the police academy because he couldn't afford to go for it. And then now we have a scholarship program that I have that, that I put other uh, kids that can't afford to go to the academy through my own nonprofit that we have uh, through the academies now. Uh, but ultimately, I went from a 1,600 square foot facility and I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing it. And uh, to where we're at now is almost 16,000 square feet facility with uh, almost 40 employees. Wow. When you stepped off and doodled that first one, come home that night, you sold a couple of hundred shirts, can pay your taxes at the end of seven days. What year, when, when, when was that? That was in 2015. How quickly, like in days or weeks or months, did you realize, should I, 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 th- I think I've just built something. I mean, was it that night when you saw it was 200 or was it a couple of weeks into it? Cause in, would you say in three months you saved 300,000? Yes. How quick, I guess it was a matter of weeks where you realized I've just stepped off into something that is, this no, thing's big. It was immediately. Really? I can tell you this right now. I, and, and I've been told uh, when, when, when I was talking with Danny about it, um, I told her, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is it. I, I knew nothing about t-shirts. I knew nothing about apparel. I knew nothing about running a business of that sort. You knew the night? You knew that night when you got back and sold 200? No, I knew by the end of, I knew by the end of that campaign. 
that whatever it was I'm supposed to do, it's supposed to be through this. And, and, and I can even remember praying to God and asking, T-shirts? Apparel? What is this about? And then I started, and I've, I've never heard a voice. I've never heard anybody, you know, people sit there and say, I heard a voice. I've never heard a voice. I've never heard a voice of God. But it, in a way, we kind of do by the understanding of the paths, about the messaging, the, 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 whatever it was. And, and I've never been a real religious person. The, 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 the religion comes, and, and the faith comes from the things that I've actually been through and I've seen and I've, and I've witnessed and I've been. That wasn't a cop that knocked on my door. It was an no, angel. Exactly it was an right. angel that knocked on my door. Sure. So I knew, I literally knew immediately, and I'm even telling her this. I'm saying, hey, no, I'm serious. This is for real. And the skepticism from everybody was, come on. Really? You, you yeah. have no idea what this is. You don't know what to do with this and that type of thing. And I did, and I kept pushing it, and I kept pushing it. And honestly, I kept pushing with that same word in mind, relentless, relentless, relentless. I'm going to do this. So I kept pushing it. And um, so ultimately, um, the, the second employee I ever hired was Danny. And uh, I told her, I said, quit your job of being in law enforcement and, and, and come work for me. And then the third employee I ever hired was my sister-in-law, which is her sister, who was a sheriff's deputy, a sheriff's detective at the sheriff's office. She came to work for me. In fact, what was interesting about that is I offered her the job. I said, how much do you make right now? And whatever it was, um, I said, well, I'll, I'll give you $5,000 more net, <laughs> right? And she was like, no, there's no way. I don't think that this is going to work out. So I said, I'm telling you, it's going to work. So about two weeks later, she calls me up and says, I am pissed off at this agency. And if you're still going to hire, then I'll come do it. So I hired her and uh, I went to it. I still te- I still taught. I was still teaching my classes and, and uh, through PATC, Public Agency Training Council now, because I, I didn't want to do the management of it. So I was up in Indianapolis and I get a phone call that they're arguing. I'm like, Maybe that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but um, but we've just grown from there. I think what is what sets you apart, the company apart, is you don't talk to talk. Everything you've done, you've walked the walk. And you. I can remember years ago you said, I, I don't have a company, I have a family. And you didn't mean that like a used car salesman or somebody trying to sell insurance. It's a freaking family. Yep. When when I ran uh, for office and you came down and helped with your campaign, as soon as I showed up, Mama's like, "Get in here! We're eating lunch together." And I'm like, "No, no, no! I'm imposing." They're like, "No, get your ass in here!" Everybody sits down and breaks bread together for lunch, and everything they do the the Facebook page is a family, the relentless family, and I mean it's genuine, it's authentic. Everybody now knows where this foundation was built on right. and why it's authentic and genuine, but it's in a, it's woven into every fabric because when you go in there, it's a family. It's not, um, and it and it goes out into the public, and I think the public sees it. Is why you have people that I, I cra- it cracks me up all the time. People fighting over your shirts on there, and yeah. when are you going to release the next one? And uh, we had a um. TMPA member in West Texas fires, her house burned down. And I wasn't there, but some of the field reps were out there. She was upset that she had lost her RDA shirt collection. She didn't have any clothes. She lost everything, but she was a huge RDA family follower. And so when we reached out about trying to help get her some clothes, I think y'all went back and started replacing. Y'all were able to find some of the old ones that she was 
in love with the older older collectibles and then sent her a bunch more and I'm like, man, when somebody's house burns up and their first thought is all my freaking RDA <laughs> yeah. shirts are gone, you built a damn family. I'm gonna I'm gonna echo on that. We had a disc attorney on uh probably like the second episode, Reed McCain on Harrison County. We had given him some t shirts and stuff when he came up here and did his podcast. And he called me last week and he said, Hey, what is that t shirt deal that you're talking about? This big swole, good looking guy. I, it, it caught me off guard. It was like late at night. I said, what the hell is he talking about, Dan? I was talking to my wife. And I said, Relentless? He's like, yeah, that T-shirt brand. And I paused real quick, and I said, Reed McCain, make no mistake about it. That's not a brand. There's no brand in that entire family. Relentless Defender is a mission. And I'm going to echo on that and say that Hal told you to make something great. And I'm looking at a man that's made something great, and is continuing to make everything else great in law enforcement. And I'm 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 honored to be one of your you know friends. Um, and I'm, it's just been it's just, it, it's amazing to watch you continue to be successful, and to continue to have an impact on law enforcement, not just in Texas, not just in Rosenberg, not within their world, across the nation. So kudos to you, brother, because you've made it great. Thank you. Yeah, dude, it's like a. It's you could be stationed out of Waco. It's almost like a cult, man. We got David Crush here, and <laughs> you got you see people on there arguing about the shirts and when the when the next uh, when the next one's going to roll out and what their favorite ones are arguing over. It. I'm like, dude, the dudes built a brand, a family, a following from hell. That's freaking cool, and it's in, it's endeared, and a lot of people have a lot of great ideas that are a flash in the pan, and they last about five months and they die out. And you've diversified. You've continued to find ways to be effective and relevant. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing I admire is it would be easy because we've all started out broke. It'd be real easy to be like, yeah, I'm just going to start buying yachts and private jet and doing whatever the hell I want. You, I, it feels like you work your ass off. You work as hard to give back than you do to earn it. And that's not an e- that You have to be intentional on that. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's not easy. You make it look easy. I know it's not easy. But there's a lot of people, a, a great way to see how people, whose character are, is give them some money or power and see what they do with it. And all you've done is continue to succeed because you work so damn hard to give it back. And when people reach out, you never hesitate. I'm, ex- I'm super jaded on nonprofits because a lot of them that I've dealt with are complete scams and continue to scam people. And you don't do it for the glory. You don't do it for you just continue to give back and lift people up, support people when you can, and give back more than a lot of people make. And that's the probably the biggest thing that I love about Aaron Slater is the passion and the selflessness behind it. And that's irreplaceable. Yep. Well, thank you, guys. Yep, absolutely. And I'm not bullshitting about the Howl Award. That That is going to happen. I Hopefully, it's got to be cleared through some people, but that, I think that would be – such an honor and such an, a, a remarkable award to give. But we got some things to shoot at you. There's three rapid fire questions, and depending on how you answer this, maybe we can maybe get some T-shirts. I think you're going to be on the on the TO train. Is there anything we didn't hit? Um, no, I think you, you guys did excellent. I really do. And. and the hell thing I just want to tell you, I'm honored for even you saying that. Oh, it's a great it, um, it's that's why wouldn't you? You know, why wouldn't we? 
Uh, Before I rapid fire, being super raw and real, if your inter- if your if your life hadn't crossed intersected with how, where do you think Aaron Slater is today? I'll say I wouldn't even imagine. Probably nowhere near where you've been. That's exactly right. I've asked this a couple times, I guess, in our 35 or 6 episodes, but you're you're somebody I really would like to know. What's the highest point in your career? What single thing's been the highest point? What's the worst day in Aaron Slater's? What's Aaron Slater's worst day? And what would, what are you, 45, 46? 46. What would 46-year-old Aaron (laughs) Slater? (laughs) Yes, you are. What would 46-year-old Aaron Slater say to 16-year-old Aaron Slater? Stay relentless. No matter what, stay relentless. No matter what happens. 46-year-old Slater would give the exact same advice that Hal gave me when I was 18. That's a successful word, a successful statement to give. What's Aaron Slater's single best day and Aaron Slater's worst day? I had three best days. My three kids. My worst day, I had a few of those. But uh, ultimately, um, those don't matter. It's the ones that you try to make better. Yeah. Very well said. You can can digest them and move forward or use them as a crutch and, and fail the rest of your life. I believe in the term failing forward. We will all fail. We will fail over and over and over again. We'll fail multiple times a day. But if we don't move forward from those failures, then you have no idea what the word relentless actually means. True. Last episode we talked about, I think it was the last episode or the one before, and I said, this sounds cocky and I don't mean it cocky. But I've told my boys, you don't lose. You learn. Because mm-hmm. you, if you say you lose, you typically want to be a pity party and whine about it or use it as a crutch. I lose a lot, but I learn from it trying to move forward, and I like that. Yep. All right, rapid fire. Here we go. Those weren't the rapid fire? No. No. Shit. No, no. (laughs) Favorite cop movie, or line from a cop movie. Favorite police vehicle. I'm winking. Yeah. And a favorite drink of choice. Let me start with the police vehicle, because that's an easy one. Um... I take a lot of shit for this because even if you go on my brand, you'll see I brand with it. Uh, but the the Crown Vic may be the most ugly motherfucker out there. Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now, that son of a bitch is a beast. It's a beast. Aaron Slater, you just moved up on the totem pole with my respect chain. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much because this is a big debate. Mm-hmm. My compadre here thinks the Chevrolet boat ass ugly 94 Caprice, which is a great car. Not disputing that. You cannot destroy Crown Vic. Yeah, and, and, and in his defense... Um, I was in high school when that car was out, so personally, I've never been able to, to say that I have any experience with that car. Yep. Yep. Um, it, th- those are, I, honestly, I think those now are in the museums on the way back to, uh, <laughs> to, to Houston. I saw it on the left hand side. That's awesome. You pull it out. Baby. Oh, yeah. you pull that out. oh, greatness. <laughs> the, um, and, and give me the other, give the me lot, lot, favorite, favorite cop movie or line from a cop movie and then favorite drink of choice. My favorite cop movie is Training Day. Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, I love Training Day because it gives you 
in and out, it's up and down, and I just think that it, it, it shows the realness of things. And, yeah. and, and uh, but it also brings it around very similar to the, 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 the explanation of the story that I just gave. Yeah, that's right. And then favorite drink of choice? Uh, by far, Long Island. Okay. Yeah. Long Island. Those you are gotta, good. You, you got to jump start. Yeah, that's right. Well, man, uh, you got anything else? Nope. Great, great movie choice. My 16 year old, we've been on a Denzel marathon. So have we. We literally just watched uh, Equalizer last night. Man on Fire. Third one coming yeah, out. that's the reason why we're Man trying to get caught Man on Fire is probably one of the best ones. Our Equalizer 3 favorite. comes out September 1. That's what two. we're doing. We're getting it ready. That's yep. awesome. We've been on a Denzel marathon overnight. We make dinner, get through, we're like, all right, Google Denzel. Whatever movie pops up, we're watching Denzel. That's good shit. We literally said he is the best actor. Yep. In our entire lifetime. Fall forward. We've got a man crush on him. He's awesome. Yeah, he is. Yeah. You guys stay safe out there. Be sure to check out uh, Aaron's Relentless Foundation. And uh, he puts out a hell of a product, and he, he's just a good guy. So check out Relentless Defender. You guys stay safe. Got anything else? You have dates for the uh, Yeah, the gala? We don't yet. Um, we do have a gala every single year uh, that raises the funds. And what we do with those funds is we try to fill the void of law and officer do that but really what our void is is to help out officers that have been injured and and and, and have had life-changing chaotic catastrophes in their life it yeah. could be cancer it could be a hurricane it could be a tornado whatever the case may be yeah. and then we also have a scholarship program party awesome. gala is awesome you guys keep keep watching for dates when those come out maybe Quinn will be me and him be shirtless next time go to the gala with our our tuxedo tops on that'd be cool just throwing it out there just cumberbone in time. I'm waiting for a response. If you're going to do that, at least do jump and jump. <laughs> yeah. You guys stay safe out there as always. May God bless you and may God bless Texas. Texas.